The Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at mid midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, if you could talk with Jesus face to face, if you could ask him any question in the world, what would it be? I remember a teacher in my elementary school years asking our class this question, what question would you ask Jesus if you had him here face to face? And we came up with all sorts of fun things, as elementary-aged kids are wont to do. We, we wanted Jesus to explain the Trinity to us, because we didn't get it. We wanted Jesus to answer the problem of evil. Why is there so much bad in this world? Why is it so hard even for Christians to not sin? When did the dinosaurs live on the earth? Is heaven a physical place somewhere in the universe that we could fly a rocket ship to? These are the kinds of questions that we came up with in my class. And the truth is that all of us have questions that we wish had clearer answers. We confess that many of these things are beyond our understanding, but we still want to ask them. And when we look at the stories handed down to us in the Gospels, we see that the disciples of Jesus aren't any different. The disciples have direct access to Jesus. 
He's their leader, he's their friend, he's their teacher. And they ask him all sorts of questions. Why do you speak in parables? Did you know that the Pharisees are offended by the things you're saying? Like us, the disciples want clearer answers to things that they don't understand. Show us the way to the Father, they ask Jesus. How will we know where you are going when you ascend into heaven? Where are the signs of your coming and the end of the world? What should we look for to know that the end is near? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And other questions arise simply out of curiosity and human arrogance. Lord, who among us is the greatest disciple? Jesus doesn't answer most of these questions, at least not directly. He uses a lot of them as opportunities to kind of reframe the narrative, so to speak, to change the way that his disciples are looking at the world because they're asking the wrong questions. And so he kind of reshapes things to help them ask the right questions. But when his disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray, Jesus dives right in. It's almost like he has a sermon up his sleeve and he's like, oh, yeah, let me, let me do this. He's, he's got, you know, he's got three points, he's got two parables, he's got a mantra in the middle there, and he's got like a formal prayer that they can use in their own devotional life. He's obviously been waiting for them to ask him this question. It's the right question. And so he dives right in. It's very thorough. I wonder whether this is a question that we would ask Jesus. The disciples ask, ask Jesus, how should we pray? But the disciples lived in a, a culture and a time when people assumed that religion was a part of daily life. When people assumed that prayer was something that people did regularly. In our culture, I don't think people make that assumption anymore. In our culture, with its cardinal virtues of independence and self-determination, prayer seems kind of extra. And the truth is, I think that's often how many of us think of prayer. Even as Christians, we think of prayer as extra. Prayer is like a bonus. We get saved from our sins, we're forgiven, we learn to live a righteous life, we learn the right beliefs and doctrines, and if we have time, we ask God to help us with the things that we want. Not that we'd ever trust God with something like really big, unless it's totally out of our control. We don't ask God to help us be productive at work, right? We just work hard. We don't ask God to help us get a good night of sleep. We just go to bed on time. Maybe we ask God to help us stretch our goals, to stretch our finances, maybe. We ask God to help us with things sometimes that we don't have any control over, like chronic illnesses. But those things seem 
extra. I think that most of us, if we had Jesus face to face and we're listening to his teaching, we wouldn't ask him, how should we pray? We would ask him, why pray? Why pray? But these two questions, how should we pray and why should we pray, are related. Jesus lives and teaches in a world where the forces of secularism haven't made their mark. Everybody in Jesus' time agreed that religion was an important part of daily life and that prayer was an important part of religious practice. Life is religion. That's the way that people understood it. And that means that everybody prays. In Greek and Roman culture where people worshipped this huge pantheon of gods, prayer was kind of seen as striking a bargain with the gods, or more usually with one specific god, because you couldn't get all of their attention at the same time, unless you did something really big like start a war with Troy. People in ancient pagan cultures didn't believe that the gods were very interested in them. And so when you wanted a God's attention, if you wanted a fruitful harvest or justice or revenge or victory in war, you needed to get that God's attention. And you had to be really careful about how you did it because if you got that God's attention in a bad way, things would not turn out well for you. That meant sacrifice. That meant piety. If you wanted the gods to listen to you, you'd better do the things that make them like you. So when we read Greek and Roman prayers from Jesus' time, we see this kind of bargaining going on. I've given you sacrifices, I've been good, now please help me with the things that I want because I've kind of earned it. This is the kind of prayer that we see in the ancient world, this kind of bargaining with the gods, hoping they'll notice, hoping they'll be pleased, hoping they'll answer. Pagan prayer is full of hope, and it's also full of fear because the gods are unpredictable. And Greek and Roman mythology is full of these hilarious stories of the gods answering prayers in a very literal way that leaves people devastated. I don't think that in our society we have the same view of God as vengeful or unpredictable in the way that they did back then, playing cruel tricks on us. But we do often have this view that God is not very attentive to our life here on this earth and that we have to get his attention if we really want something. Actually, scholars of religion have a term for the religious principles that most people in our society hold, especially young people. They call it moral therapeutic deism, or MTD for short. MTD, moral therapeutic deism. An MTD isn't a religion in and of itself. It's a shorthand for the kind of religious values that a lot of people in our society hold. That there's a God who made the world, that this God wants people to be good, that this God wants people to be happy in their lives. That God isn't really involved in people's lives but might intervene if there's a big crisis. And that good people go to heaven when they die. That sounds all right right? That sounds okay. In fact, it kind of sounds like a lot of Christianity. A lot of Christians talk this way. 
And that goes to show you just how deeply these principles are entrenched in our society. Because moral therapeutic deism isn't Christian. There's nothing about a relationship with God. There's nothing about Jesus. There's nothing about the forgiveness of sins. There's nothing about the new creation. But for people who hold to these principles of moral therapeutic deism, prayer is extra. Because the goal of life isn't to have a relationship with God. It isn't to seek God's will. It isn't to be molded in the image of Christ. According to MTD, the goal of life is to be happy, to be good. And if you do that, then you'll go to heaven when you die. So prayer isn't really necessary at all. And this is why I think so many people seem to think of prayer as this, like, night out at the casino. We throw our chips up at the celestial slot machine, hoping that the divine cherries will line up and we'll hit the jackpot. Prayer is about getting the extra, but never what we really need. Prayer is about getting what we want. But in Scripture, that's not what prayer is about at all. Throughout the Bible, yes, people do ask God for things. They ask God for things that they want. They ask God for things that they need. But the tradition of biblical prayer isn't about getting what we need. It's about relationship. It's about trust. The tradition of prayer that Jesus grows up in, the Hebrew prayer tradition, begins at this place of trust. And we see this in the Psalms and throughout Scripture, but especially in the Psalms, this pattern of praise and lament and thanksgiving and petition rooted in the faithfulness of God to His people, in the trust that we can have in Him. In Scripture, people pray to God to be shaped according to His will, to be transformed, by the renewing of our minds into the image of God. Prayer in the Bible isn't about getting what we want. It's about getting to know the one who made us. Prayer is like sitting on God's lap. It's like holding his hand, putting ourselves in this posture of childlike trust and curiosity so that we can learn from God get to know Him, be shaped by Him. Prayer is about offering God our truth about ourselves, our desires, our hopes, our fears, even our failures, so that our Heavenly Father, the faithful one who claims us in baptism and walks with us throughout the journey of this life, can remind us of the truth about ourselves. Why pray? We confess in the Heidelberg Catechism that we pray because it is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. God made us. God saved us from sin and adopted us as children of the living God. And by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, God is forming and shaping us to be witnesses to his kingdom 
among the kingdoms of this world. Prayer is how we say thank you to God for all the things that he's done for us. But it's more than that. Prayer is effective and prayer is necessary. The catechism goes on to say that God gives his grace and his Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking Him for them. And that's not saying that we earn God's grace through prayer, that we earn the Holy Spirit through prayer. What it's saying is that prayer is the way that God forms and shapes these things in our hearts. Prayer is how we receive God's grace. Prayer is how we grow in relationship with God, how we get to know God. We don't pray so that we can change God. We pray so that God can change us. And this is what the Lord's Prayer does. The Lord's Prayer challenges our assumptions about prayer and about who God is, not by changing what we pray for, but by restructuring what we pray for. And this restructuring changes our posture toward God. We are not lowly peons speaking to some deity, the, the great celestial world, world maker, in the hopes that he might notice our crisis and intervene. We are children sitting at the feet of our Heavenly Father, to talk with Him, to learn from Him, to hear His promises again and again so that we can be more like Him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, O oh Lord our God, we come before you in prayer, in awe of your promises, in awe of your grace, in awe of your glory. Fill us, we pray, with a childlike reverence and trust, that we may open our souls to you, send us your Holy Spirit, reveal yourself to us, we pray, so that every day of our lives we may be unsatisfied that we do not know you more. Fill us with the hope of your promises, with the assurance of your goodness, and with the love that you have for us as your children. 
We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.